There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by The Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, CEO and founder, and I am honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through paying it forward and giving back. Ethical business owners and holistic healers who are determined to create collective change in the world. Once we have a change in consciousness and through collective change, we can become one. My next guest was recommended by another guest, and as always, I can see why. When I went into this conversation, I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go. The more we talked, the more I could see with clarity exactly where we were headed. Jen Mason blends over 20 years of experience as an educator and process designer with insights from her PhD research about the role of listening in building resilience in complex adaptive systems she works with a sense of both purpose and playfulness. Her goal is to support effective communication and learning, enabling groups to achieve their goals and thrive. I know we got a real aha moment uh, during our conversation about the way I communicate, and I hope you also get great value from our discussion. Welcome, Jen, to The Ethical Evolution. Hey, thanks for having me, Bindi. Happy to be here. Now, you're coming to us uh, all the way from Canada. Um, Can you tell us uh, who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Jen Mason. I live in Guelph, Ontario in Canada, and I'm just in the early stages of starting a communication consulting business. I worked for many, many years as an educator at the K-12 level um, with obviously young people and teachers and in all kinds of different capacities, some public and private education like public school classrooms, um, but a lot of alternative education. So environmental, outdoor, uh, adventure education. I did forest school for a while, uh, eco schools, some curriculum writing work. And all of it was with the purpose, the underlying goal of supporting the shift to a life-sustaining society. So living on this planet in a way that works for the living beings, human and other than human that are here now and uh, that will come in the future. And so I've been doing that for about 20 years, 20-ish, say, years, plus or minus. And in the early uh, 2000-teens, I don't I don't exactly know how you say that, like 2011, 12 kind of <laughs> time range. I, I, I had what I think you would describe as like a, a existential professional crisis. And, and it really amounted to the fact of like taking a really hard look at where we were in the world. And, you know, by any metric, you know, where we were was worse off than when I started doing that work in the 90s. And certainly worse than when... Uh, you know, environmental education got going in the in the 70s, despite the fact that, you know, thousands of dedicated, passionate, capable people had devoted their lives to this work. You know, we you look at any any possible indicator and and things were were worse. So so while I certainly knew from personal experience and from from research 
that uh, reading other people's research about the value of these sorts of things for people's personal lives, ultimately, you know, collectively, what what was happening there? You know, what was happening? And so, like I say, well, I see that the, there's a value to doing that work. I really felt called to kind of explore that question of like, what else is going on? What is the barrier here, despite all this this beautiful work that's been going on for quite a long time? And what I came to suspect in that was, and, and later to believe quite strongly, is that what we have is a communication problem. And in particular, a listening problem, particularly listening to people who think differently than we do. And, you know, to solve the complex social ecological challenges that we have in the world, we need to collaborate across boundaries. We need to work with people who think differently. We have to work with, you know, across disciplines, across organizations, across sectors. And yet we're not really good at that. You mm. know, there's a quote I love. I'm, I'm really bad at remembering the... Um, actual words of the quote, but there's a Peter Senge and a number of authors in a book called The Necessary Revolution said something like, you know, the, there's a the gap between the need to think and act interdependently and our ability to do so sits at the heart of all the most difficult problems we face today. Mm. The gap between the need to think and act interdependently and our ability to do so. And I absolutely resonated with that. And so you know, that's, I think, my shortest form version of that's what my research and work is all about, is looking at that gap and trying to close it. Yeah, and I know um, how we connected uh, was actually through um, Deb Matlock, who uh, yep. has previously been on the podcast, and um, she does a, a lot of work communicating with, with uh, you know, beings other than humans, um, as we know. And I think that's so great that you have that tie in there as well. But when I started to look at what you do, I was like, okay, so what is it that sets you apart from all of these other people who do team building, do communication coaching, all of that kind of stuff? And it's that connection with nature, isn't it? I think perhaps there's a piece of it that's a connection with nature, but I think it's really also the an awareness piece. Mm. It's like the, the awareness of what's happening inside you as you're listening to someone else speak. That's the really tricky part. And I'm not unique in, in certainly taking that angle, but it's it's a unique application to some strategies that um, there's this particular thing called suspension. So so backing up a little bit, like when 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 we encounter somebody who who thinks differently than we do, mm -hmm. particularly if it's a thought or a belief or idea that we have that we feel really strongly about, then that can be fused with our sense of of self. And so if we're having a conversation and you say something that is counter to my idea that I feel really strongly about or challenges my idea, even if you say it in a really nice way or whatever, you know, Jen, hey, you know, have you thought of I can experience that challenge as a threat to my person. Yeah. Because I'm so tied to the idea. Yeah. And so in that case, what happens then is I'm launched into this whole amygdala thing, you know, that we know. And it's as though it's the same that biological survival thing mm -hmm. that you know evolutionary thing that's happening you know that I would have if I encountered a lion on the savanna or yeah. like a you know like a funnel web spider hey right I'm speaking I've been there I know those are scary you know if I encounter that that's that same response yeah. you know and so that's useful that's a useful response when we're when we're in a situation where we have to act to save our lives like that. But when I'm having that response in a conversation with you where you're just saying you know hey this is how I see it 
then it's really counterproductive. That's, mm-hmm. that's the piece. And so when, when I, when I have that reaction thing, what can happen then is that I launch into only two choices. I can only really in that moment, defend myself, defend my idea and seek to persuade you or disengage and just like, Hey, let's change the subject. And yeah. like, what, are, what are you doing this weekend? Or, or maybe <laughs> I don't feel physically safe and I actually like leave, you know, like yeah. leave the conversation. So there's like the disengage choice and the, the, um, the fight choice, the fight or flight, the, the try to convince you piece of it. And so, so my work is really looking at this idea of this third option, this idea of suspension. And so that's really where mine is. So I'm not absolutely sure if I would say that it's deeply connected to, um, you know, nature awareness, but more like awareness of what's going on inside you that enables you to practice this idea of suspension. I can say more about that if you want. So uh, it is, it's it's a really unique unique way of looking at things too, because I mean, you know, and I I tend to think, you know, if, if we're a little bit more conscious um, in, in who we are, um, and have that self-awareness, we, we can identify, um, just when, you know, we're being triggered by someone else or, you know, they're saying something that doesn't align with our values and we, we can then, you know, take those different paths, like you mentioned. Um, I tend to find the more conscious we are or, or enlightened or empowered, um, we tend to be able to manage those conversations a lot better. Would you agree? I absolutely would. That's absolutely that's absolutely the case. So so in our research, so this idea of suspension is 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 presented by this uh, theoretical physicist named David Bohm, who in his later part of his life was really interested in in collective consciousness and looking mm. at how people can think together better through dialogue. And so suspension is this idea of taking my idea or my opinion and actually like literally imagining that I'm suspending it as though outside myself. Mm. So if you and I were having this conversation and you said, Jen, you know, I'm not sure or whatever. And I'm starting to notice, like you're saying, notice that kind of like, oh, uh, you know, feeling certain that reactive experience, then, then I can actually use that opportunity to suspend and and it's a choice so I could suspend my view and that in that way what it does it's amazing because I can then have space within myself to hear you so I'm not so full up of my own rightness or my own idea that I'm sitting there and I'm just like waiting for the second you stop speaking I'm just gonna jump right in like oh wait I just want to I just want to tell you I want to counter everything you're saying just at this point right instead of that I there's this spaciousness that comes Mm. And so, so I'm able to hear you. It's an absolute game changer. But to that awareness point that, that you made, what I found in the research and was really surprised, I loved this idea, was captivated by the idea, you might even say. But I was struck by the lack of uh, guidance in terms of how to do it and, and how to support people mm. in doing it. And so that became what my research was all about. So, so we looked at, at the role of mindful awareness in supporting suspension practice. And so uh, it was an eight-week study. We had we did some some uh, body short body scans, short mindful breathing exercises, and with the idea of building the the ability to have this this listening from open awareness, we called it this ability to listen both to what was being said externally, but also listen to what was going on inside. Mm. And, and so that was like this thing we call the pause practice where you just like super quick, like split second scan. So I'm listening, I scan my thoughts, my emotions, my body sensations. 
And, and so I might notice like, you know, that, like I was saying like that, like Bindi, Oh, I got a mental note. I'm going to counter that point And I'm going to, Oh, and she's, Oh, and this. you could notice yourself doing that. You could notice this feeling of irritation or whatever. And you could notice all that amygdala fight or flight feeling, the shortness of breath or like the, you know, the heart pounding tummy, hand sweating, all that stuff. When you notice all those things, then it creates, like you were saying, it creates that opportunity to, to engage differently. You have the choice then. And I had, I heard somebody once say, I so love this, that awareness is a superpower. Mm. And I honestly couldn't agree more because, you know, so, so we're having that conversation. I notice myself, for me, I feel it in mostly that breathiness. I'm like, oh, I can feel it. Oh, I can feel different people have different places. That's where I notice it for. So I'm like, Oh, there I am. That's brilliant. Because if I can notice that little, oh, here I go, I'm on my way. I'm on my way into that full reactivity place where all I have the choice to do is to defend or try to persuade you or, or disengage. But if I can notice and sort of redirect by maybe taking a breath or putting my hand on my heart, maybe, you know, really concentrating on the feeling of the soles of my feet on the ground, you know, there's all the different ways to do that. I can interrupt that. If I catch it soon enough, that's the key thing. I can interrupt that reactivity escalation and it opens up this unbelievably beautiful spaciousness where there exists the possibility of of, of conscious choice. So in that space, I might say, you know what? I have to say something about this. I'm right. I feel strongly and, and I might need to see, you know, something you just have to take a stand on. I might consciously choose to defend my view. Or I might consciously choose to disengage and say, look, this isn't the right time. You know, I'm not up for this conversation. But, but I also could consciously choose to suspend. Mm. And that's where the real magic happens is that, is that you have the space to make that choice and it opens up that opportunity for suspension, which is what I was looking for in the research. I'm like, how do you do it? How do you, where do you get to that choice? Because if, if you're all, you know, in that breathy kind mm. of tense place and I'm just comp- composing in my mind my counter argument to you, how, how do I get to that? And, and so that's what we found in our study is that we get there by by carefully cultivating the ability to be aware both of the external and simultaneously the internal. And, and that's the game changer. That that changes everything in how, how we proceed. I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess for me, uh, someone who um, talks to people from all around the world and interviews them on, on pretty much a daily basis and is also interviewed as a guest, um, I... It's probably something I practice and don't, didn't realise I'd been doing. And, nice. um, you know, for me, you know, probably in the last year, you'll probably, if you go back to the beginning of this podcast, um, I, it sounds very different now to what it did at the beginning because I've become more self-aware, more conscious, more enlightened, more spiritual and more connected in the conversations that I have. Um, and the flow of them is just seamless now um, that it never used to be. So... I guess I'm putting that into practice in what I do every day. Yeah. And I think there's probably lots of people who do that all the time, like probably therapists, you know, there's probably a lot of different places where people are doing it 
a lot. I'd mm. also say there's a lot of places it's not happening and I oh, wish it yeah. was. <laughs> a lot of places. But I think that there are a lot of people who probably do it and just don't use that word because it's not really, you know, it's not well known and it's, you know, it's not a concept that people are talking about. So, so, um, so good on you. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the, the other thing, and I, I know I've mentioned this in, in many episodes and in many guest appearances I've done as well, is that um, I, I'm a bit of a medium. I get these messages and um, quite often it guides all my decisions. You know, it's like this divine intervention that I have that just happens because of that connectedness. And the, the things that have evolved because of that, like this podcast is one of them, um, like it's just life-changing. Um, so, you know, there's so many benefits if you, you actually have that mindfulness and that self-awareness and that connection. It really just changes the whole way your mind works. Absolutely. And it also changes fundamentally your relationships mm. in every way mm. that it is it's amazing. And, you know, we did when we started the study, we were looking at, you know, how to engage on the topic of climate change. That's where we started. Ooh. And, and we, and yeah, I mean, you know, you want to have, go, go for the most juicy Ooh. of all topics, you know? And, and so, but what we ended up finding, you know, people were coming back with stories about their kids or mm. their partner you know, this neighbor that's this, you know, annoying, like always this <laughs> voicing this opinion, so this, and, and people had these beautiful experiences of, of being better able to handle those situations. Yeah. I had a woman, I had a woman in the study say, say, um, one of the most beautiful outcomes, she said, she said, you know, what I learned from, from doing this is that challenging conversations don't need to be that challenging. no. You know, she said, I, I, I used to have anxiety when I had to talk with somebody who, who has a different idea or who's a really big kind of personality. And I knew we would get into, you know, and get really worried about it ahead of time and then ruminate afterwards. And she said, this has been a complete game changer because what I realized is when I, when I practice this, that I don't, it, it's not me, you know, we're talking about the ideas and that there's this, there's this, um, there's this lightness in the whole interaction, you know, when I'm able to do this. But interestingly, suspension doesn't mean that you you give up your idea. Mm. That's really important. But it's you you aren't giving it up. You're just holding it to the side. And 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 there's sort of a few different levels of it. But the first one is really just to make space to hear. The mm. Further on, you can kind of explore it and look at it from this bit more distanced, you know, place. But really, just making space was so um significant for for people and you know one one guy even said that the uh there was a job um that was offered to this the one participant that was that he turned down because because there were you know rumors of sort of difficult characters in the next department or wherever it was and in the follow-up interview we did multiple weeks later sort of i can't remember like six or eight weeks afterwards the person said, I actually took the job because oh. I real, it was offered again. And the person said, you know what? I realized I can, I can handle this. Yeah. You know? um, but it's that idea then that you don't necessarily give up your idea. Somebody said this beautiful thing where you can imagine it's tethered to you. Mm. So we sort of imagined it like it's sort of like attached carefully to your wrist, delicately and yeah. carefully, but, but strongly. Mm. So, that, so that you can listen and I can hear you and your view that, that is different than mine and have this mine is here. It's safe. You know, no one's going to yep. take it. Nobody can hurt it. It's just, it's there. I can listen to you and I can inquire into your view. You know, like tell, tell me more about that, Bindi. Why do you, 
why do you think that? Where did your where did your thoughts come from on that topic? And it feels safer to do it because mine's is just right here. Yeah. You know, just yeah. right there. And I maybe I'll come around to seeing things the way you do. I, mm. I might do that, but not necessarily. I don't have to. But but I can in the process of having that that idea tethered in that way, I can much better understand what you're saying. Mm. And we can have a much more fruitful and uh, engaging interaction if I'm not so full up of myself that I'm, it's just too sort of, we're just sort of slapping into each other. You know, yeah. 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 And it's, it's funny, you know, um, that you say that uh, because, you know, when you, when you put this into practice in your conversations, it's this confidence that builds in you that you no longer have that anxiety to have those difficult or challenging conversations or the courageous conversations that we like to call them, um, you know, with, with very difficult people. Um, and I've found myself, you know, in groups of people where I've had to be that leader that actually starts that conversation, um, because others didn't have the confidence or the ability to manage it. So, um, it just makes things so much easier. And then people just watch the magic happen and they're like, oh, that wasn't so hard after all, you know? So I think, you know, if you can exercise this, it really builds your confidence and, and, and helps other people to do it too. I, exactly. And mm. and the way you say it, the exercise, it is a practice, mm. though. You have to practice mm. and get it gets easier over time. Mm. And it is interesting, too, what you say about how it affects people. We, we really found that like so. So we would go we, we met for eight weeks and, and um, you know, each week we would do a number of things together, but then go off and practice during the week, come back and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they. Um, sorry, just have a little tickle here. What we found, sorry, we found that um, we weren't, when we were practicing, we weren't saying to people, you know, okay, I'm doing this, you know, doing this thing and here's what I need you to do. And this, we just, you know, we did it. We just Mm. did it ourselves. It was an internal process that we were practicing, but uniformly what we found was that we um, experienced a complete shift in how the person responded to us. Mm. And, And at first we were a little bit surprised by that because we weren't asking them to do anything. We were working on our own capacity development. We weren't asking them to do anything. We weren't trying to change anybody. We were trying to change ourselves. But what we noticed was when we did this and, and, and practice suspension and then inquiring into the views of others that they did the same to us. And there were a few people who were absolutely floored to be in conversations with people that had never once, the family members usually, you know, or coworkers who had never once asked them, tell me what you think, Mm. you know, where did that, how do you think about that? And really thoughtful and and really, it seemed in the stories they told, that they really cared about what the person was going to say back, you know? And, And so at first, like I said, we were a little bit like, wow, what, this is, that's surprising. But when you think about it a little further, you know, if we're not, you know, sort of that jumping in, trying to do that like thing, then they can feel less defensive themselves, of course. I mean, it, you know, and, and so the whole thing was a, was a greater uh, vehicle for, um, for understanding. And, and, and that's what we're talking about is, is how can we engage with people who think differently? We don't have to be their best friend necessarily, but how do we engage with people? Because that's what we need to do in order to address these, these challenges is we have to, particularly something like climate change, Mm. where we need to, you know, I mean, the level of scale of, of collaboration that's required is is epic and mm. so we need to build this capacity to address these these challenges but also to have just better lives like i said we had unbelievable impacts on our own families and 
our own, you know, working relationships and all these different ways. So and it's, lots of benefits. Yeah, it's it's really the energy you bring to the conversation too, isn't it? Like um, when, you, when you're not waiting for the other person to stop talking and you're actually actively listening and, and absorbing their message, um, it's a whole different energy and they can pick up on that and you can too. And I think one of the things that I really learned, um, particularly when I went through coaching certification, is it's not about instructing someone to do something. It's about asking questions. Like it's always about asking questions. You can get through a whole coaching session and it will just be questions, nothing else, and the people find their own answers. Mm-hmm. So right, that yeah. intention piece. Yeah, yeah. the intention. Yeah, that's I think that's key. What you're saying, the intention to approach openly mm. and there's there are times when that's not the right intention you yeah. know that might not be there are certain people where you or certain situations or certain topics you know depending on you know how you arrive and what the context is where you know absolutely you're not arriving in mm. this open way it's just not the appropriate thing you know I had people question that you know a number of times like well you know in this situation why would you possibly ask somebody to do that I'm like I, I'm not I wouldn't you know there's a time and a, and a place and obviously you have to you have to decide what, what that is. Yeah, and one of the things that always makes me laugh, and I know this is a bit left field, is um, when when we were going through that training, um, we had this pack of cards, right, and uh, there were all these questions on them that you could potentially ask someone if they were going through a challenge, like just to get them to reframe their mindset. And um, my favourite one was, what would Oprah do? <laughs> And people what like in this situation? people are like mm, that's actually a really good question. <laughs> what would Oprah do? <laughs> now, Jen, um, for people who don't know, can you tell us in um, your simplest terms what your mission is? Sure, I would say it goes back to the same mission that I had when I was talking about working in, in schools is to support the shift to a life sustaining society. I think that's kind of the just the simplest, shortest, quickest possible answer. And that's epic in itself, really. <laughs> it's epic. It's the tiniest little <laughs> phrase and the most gargantuan. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so in one way or another, my work has always been has always been in service of that larger mm. goal, whether it's like connection with nature or eco-literacy or supporting agency and young people. And, you know, now working in, in how can we engage with each other in these, you know, when we, when there's so many different ways of seeing and understanding the issues and, uh, you know, conceptualizing the solutions. How do we possibly do that? You know, there's conflict even among people who are trying to make change in the same way, right? Oh. So how in every area, we need to be able to engage with people who have different ideas. So it's all, all has been in service of that. And, you know, when you say that, um, and (laughs) you probably don't want to talk about it, but um, the US election comes to mind um, and the communication that's been going on around that. Um, I mean, that in itself is a a great example of of how we shouldn't do things. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, totally true. Yeah, and, um, you know, when we look at those kind of challenging conversations that are going on and they're really not getting anywhere, um, they could really benefit from actually listening to the other point of view, you know, uh, particularly when, you know, when you look at things like politics, religion, like this is how wars kind of start because of difference in opinion. 
Absolutely. Mm. And, and I think there's an author and um, uh, facilitator named Adam Kahane who has this idea, Hanford, he calls it enemy-fying. Mm. I love that term. <laughs> and the idea is that, you know, if you disagree with me, you're not just somebody who has a different view, you're my enemy. Mm. And I think that's what we're seeing certainly uh, play out in the United States, you know, that you're red, you're blue, you're this, you're that, I'm for this, you're against that, and you're my enemy. Whereas, you know, and, and maybe it's fanciful idea of yesteryear, but I would say even in my lifetime, there's this, you know, I remember my parents had, you know, friends of multiple, you know, political stripes. Mm. And it's like, yeah, here's some things that are, you know, when we get talking about this, it gets loud in the dining room, you know, <laughs> oh, the parents are going, you know, but, but they were still friends, you know, mm. and, they, and they still respected each other. They're still human beings in this world who, you know, have, you know, families and concerns and hopes and dreams, and they're still people that, you can have a relationship with and care about and so I, I feel like that's lost I don't know what the answer is is for for America really but you know I, I, I'm actually I was in the process of um, finishing up this this article that you know where, where I talk about this idea of like how how we conceive of communication and I call it like so the protagonist approach to communication is what I, I really see in America, this idea of like self-advocating, like you advance yourself mm -hmm. and, and strength is equated with certainty and decisiveness and, you know, my way or the highway. And that's what strength is, or that's what leadership is, or, you know, that's what courage is or something. And, and you, you see that play out, you know, on all the levels of, you know, won't name any names, but all the <laughs> levels, you know, you see that play out and, and, and I and I think that that's a really limited um, way. We use that protagonist approach in every situation. But I love the work of, of uh, Arthur Kessler, who talks about the idea of holons and the idea that we exist in duality. So so we are both whole and part of larger whole. And so he describes it all the way, starting like at a cell. So a cell is whole. It's yeah. a, you know, it has a name and a boundary, but it's also part of a larger whole. It's part of the tissues that create organs. And the organ, like my heart, is a whole, but it's also part of my circulatory system. It's part of a larger whole. And my circulatory system, similarly, is part of my whole organism of me. And then I am a whole. I am Jen Mason, and I'm acting out my life. And there's a place in that for me to self-advocate and, you know, get work and, you know, be in the world and achieve and do things. But I'm also part of larger wholes, many different larger wholes at different levels of scale. I'm part of a immediate family and an extended family and a neighborhood and a community and all the way up into the world, you know, but all different organizations that I'm involved in. And as such, I need another way to communicate. That's, that's the pieces. So if I apply that protagonist approach in, in those situations where I am one part that's where we end up i think in situations like we see in america very dramatically but we see it everywhere it's not just pointing fingers at america you know like it's everywhere that's yeah. we see that everywhere and so in that ensemble approach my perspective and and my contribution is of course important but it is only and ever partial of course mm. because i'm one part of it and so for me to insert myself into those types of situations with that protagonist mindset, I think that's the recipe for all the disasters that we're, we're seeing in the world. And so that ensemble approach is where I believe this type of work of suspension and using that awareness <laughs> to 
to be able to engage more productively, that's where I really see that coming into play. And so I think it's not just that we need the protagonist or not just that we need the ensemble approach. We need both. We need to have fluidity and the capacity for both and the ability to recognize when one is appropriate and when the other is appropriate. And, and we need to build those skills so that we can do that because not only do we not recognize that we need to do it, but we don't have the skills to do it. So there's mm. two part this is a two-part situation. <laughs> oh my god! I I hope everyone listens to this because that that is I just love that concept of the you know from a cellular level up to a global level. I just think that like if you just sit in that for a minute, I just think that is mind blowing, and that I think is where there's um, really great alignment with you and I and and the mission of Ethical Change Agency in that we're here to create collective change. Um, by amplifying these stories. So um, by doing that, we become one. We're, we're, we're all in the same home. We're all in the one planet. And I think, you know, if people can just get their mind around that, um, the way they look at things could really change. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Now, with the work that you do, can you tell us, like, some of the people that you've helped and the change that it's made? Mm-hmm. So as I'm just kind of getting going in the consulting work, um, I don't have a ton of stories that I've done deep research into at this time. Um, but the but because we did the study and did extensive, you know, focus groups and interviews, mm. I have lots of stories that I can tell from that. Some of them I've already mentioned in terms of just that challenging conversations don't need to be challenging. Mm-hmm. And taking a job that you had previously declined, I think that's beautiful. There were many others. There was, you know, we had, like I say, we, we started out talking about climate change and we ended up talking about our kids and our partners. And, you know, so there were, there were really lovely stories. Like I think almost everybody in the group shared a story at one point where they said something along the lines of this week, practicing this, I was talking to my fill in the blank, uncle, aunt, father, son, husband, wife, and we had the best conversation ever there's mm. all caps ever you know it's like we were able to have and we normally cannot talk about you know Justin Trudeau we cannot talk about politics we cannot <laughs> and we did we covered all the topics and it was amazing and so that was really beautiful and and shocking for many of the people that that was even possible and so it was this crack that that made you know, these relationships that, you know, there were varying levels, some had been quite damaged and some not so much, but improved all of them. Mm. That, that was a really a neat outcome. There was another story where just that idea of understanding without actually changing your view, there was another story of a person who had been in this conflict that had been going on for, you know, some time. And and the person said that the, that the plan was to, to practice this in this, the practice mindful approach to suspension in, in with this particular person in the situation. And the, the story that, that she came back with was unbelievable. She, she said, you know, here we had been in this, this situation for some time. And we, when I practiced this, it was like all of a sudden a light went on in the room. Like I could just suddenly totally see the situation from her perspective where before I had been just completely like, this is how I see it. I had been hurt. You know, we had this, you had that, you let me down. I, this, she was so full of that, right. That she couldn't hear. And so it wasn't that she 
you know, changed how she, you know, she, she was still had felt hurt. She was still upset, but she was, when she was able to sort of just like take her, her whole story, the whole narrative that was filling her up and just hold it kind of off to the side in this gentle way, tethered and safe, mm. but nonetheless off to the side, she was able to hear and realize like, Oh, you know, just like you, you're seeing this from a completely different way. And I see how this has been hard for you. I completely see how my actions in this entire situation have been difficult for you. And it was just like, it's a very small, you know, one person's one situation, but it was extremely powerful in, 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 in just highlighting the, the possibility and the understanding that can come, not necessarily the agreement, mm. but the shift that happens from, um, from understanding. So I think that those are, those are some of the big ones. And then again, like I say, just how, how um how people changed the way that they engaged back with us that that was significant mm. and so um yeah those are probably the ones that stand out the most and you know as you were saying that it reminds me of some of the people in my life when I try to have you know the big conversations I could talk about climate change or politics or whatever it might be um it can be quite polarizing for them and they, they they basically shut down and they will not listen to any other opinion other than their own. They're like, I know you don't agree with me, so I'm just not going to listen to you. So they pretty much shut down and don't open any other perspective. And th- they seem to lock themselves in that and don't want to get out of it. So if they can suspend that to the side and allow the other conversation in, I think that's life-changing. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's life-changing. It honestly is life-changing. Like, mm. and, and it's because they don't feel safe. So in some ways you're like, come on, don't be so closed-minded. Yeah. Right. But like when you even describe that, like you're even, you're like your body and your face, like <laughs> even just acting it out, it was like, that person doesn't feel safe no. because they, that they, because that whole thing back to the, having the view fused with your identity, mm. it's not safe for me to talk about this with you. Because if you challenge me or counter me or worse, say I'm just flat wrong, you are out to lunch, you are, you're hurting me as a person. That's how my body, that's how my whole system responds to that. And so, so sidestepping that whole piece is essential. But again, the challenge is we don't know how to do this. Like mm. if you think about I don't know what it, what it, what it's like there, but I'm I'm guessing it's similar all the way around the world. If you if you think back to your uh, education experience, you know I'll, I'll say for mine, communication education in my experience was about expression. I learned how to write persuasively, how to speak convincingly, right? And I remember even like in in high school doing the essay writing, and and I honestly I had several teachers who literally said. The conclusion is where you hammer your point home, <laughs> hammer your point home. And if you think of it, it's almost actually a little bit aggressive. Like <laughs> this is where you hammer your point home. And then, and then you think about like public the speaking, like doing presentations. It's all about how do you most effectively express your idea to the rest of the class? So there you sit, there's 28 kids in the class. You do your one presentation and then you listen to 27 other presentations and there's no instruction about how you listen. Mm. Uh, that was my right so so what does listening look like in in k-12 education well we can probably it will sound familiar to many people you you sit still especially the little (laughs) kids sit still you know 
Make eye contact, right? And then as you get older, the act of listening, you nod from time to time. You, you know, you aha, mm -hmm, right? All of that, pardon me, sorry. You do all that. That's, of course, appropriate and, and, and you know, lovely. But at the end of the day, it's a demonstration of listening, mm. right? It's a demonstration. It's the outward appearance of listening. But listening actually is internal. And so if you think back, if you're like, there's zero instruction about how do I process the ideas of somebody else, particularly when it's one that I find difficult. Mm. There's none. So, so, you know, and then of course we don't carry on in our work lives or anything to do that. So it's not really surprising that we, that we find ourselves here because what we learn is how to express. So there we are in the protagonist, all of us. <laughs> there, wow. there we are. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> wow well it's no wonder then is it <laughs> there's no wonder but there's hope then there's hope we can create some changes and and hopefully shift that up a bit so uh, I was gonna ask this question but I think you've pretty much answered it um you know like what what tips could you give people if you know they're trying to have those big meaningful conversations with someone in their life that that is quite recalcitrant and doesn't want to shift their views well, that's tricky. So, so, so we, we did find that it required a little bit of practice, this idea of this idea of listening with open awareness. So that was that key thing where you're listening both to what's being said and listening to your own listening, if you will, or, you know, monitoring your own internal situation. That's a little bit tricky to do on the fly. And that's where the practice piece comes in. Yeah. So without necessarily really practicing that, or maybe if somebody already has a, a mindfulness practice or has the ability to kind of do that quick scan, I would say that it lies right in the key of that. First of all, setting the intention to, to listen in that way determining if that's the appropriate intention. First of all, is it the right time? Is it safe with that person? You know, like emotionally safe, whatever. But then if it is, and you've set that intention to go in and practice listening with open awareness, listening to what is being said and monitoring your own, you know, internal space periodically catching if you're, if you're moving into that reactivity and then coming down out into that sort of more spacious conscious choice place and if your intention is to engage, then then I would say if you notice yourself going in there, come to that spaciousness and choose to suspend. And so just take your idea, literally imagine that you're taking it almost like out of your wherever your throat or your heart or your where. Take it at your head and imagine just like holding it in your hands in front of you and just placing it aside mm -hmm. and imagine tethering it. That's just, just, It seemed like that was an important part for like that safety feeling. No one's taking your view. No one's, no one's, you, nobody can change your mind for you. Mm. Right. So, so that's just there. You, you have that, but what you can do with your choice and with that consciousness that you've, you've given yourself is that you can then hold it there and make space to hear that other person and then just genuinely inquire into their view. Mm. And it may be the case like that most of us experienced as, as we did this, that, that they will do that back to you. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, well, here's what I think. And, you know, you ask them some more questions and then they, well, well, what do you, what do you actually, what do you think? And you're like, well, you know, and then that's, then you can say, interestingly, we did have a situation where somebody did it and wasn't genuine 
that wasn't genuinely inquiring, but it was one of those like leading questions. You know, we see that so often, like, you know, do you really think, you know, like the, the, that didn't work at all, obviously that, you mm. know, so you have to watch for that. That intention is really like you said in the beginning, that intention is, is essential. And if that's a genuine intention to approach with openness and approach in this, in this way, then, then um, there's a lot of magic that can happen there. There's a lot of possibility and, and a lot of movement that can happen where it doesn't appear that movement is even possible. It's quite exciting. So I guess it's really, um, getting in the other person's shoes, isn't it? Like understanding their viewpoint and, and why they have that and and appreciating that. Um, and if you can get that mutual understanding, um, it really just helps open up that dialogue a little bit more. Absolutely. And then you can go into the deeper levels where you're really exploring, you know, those the, the assumptions on which the ideas are predicated. And you can get kind of exploring more deeply and, and mm. you know, questioning in, in that space. And if you can generate a level of sufficient safety, then then there's that also possibility for shifting. You know, maybe mm. maybe maybe I don't have to hold that idea quite so closely or I could shift it, remold it slightly and pull it back into myself in a slightly in a slightly different way. And maybe the other person would would do that too. And I think the underlying thing under all of it is that some some of us just feel we need to be right, and it's not about that at all, right? It's it's about understanding. I think so, mm. and, and I think that comes back to that piece of the protagonist versus the the ensemble is like, you know, can you actually be right in that way when your view is only partial? Like when we're mm. talking about these huge complex issues, you know, for as much as I care about it, as much as I read and think and, you know, delve into this, my view is still only ever partial. Yeah. And, and there's a real humility to that that is um, important. It, and it, but also valuable, right? So it's not to say that it's nothing. It's essential because the diversity of, of perspectives that come in are, are the richness, you know, from which the whole is created. So, so you need that diversity. You need those different ideas and views to come in, but you need the humility of each of the people sitting at the table or the circle or whatever, wherever, we, wherever we're sitting to have the humility to say, I, I'm not the entirety of this. Yeah. At this level of scale, I'm not the entirety. In my own life, okay, I'm going to, you know, whatever. You know, in my own story, I'm the center stage. I'm going to this. But but sh- having that fluidity and moving into that space and that slightly with that slightly different orientation, I think, is a game changer. Mm. So in in this work that you do and, and understanding this suspension technique, um, what, what would you say has been the biggest challenge that you've found and how have you overcome it? I would say that, so like I say, I'm just kind of getting going. I would say a challenge that I've experienced a little bit and mm. I expect I would encounter quite a lot more is the question of why do this? And, mm. and we've touched on that a little bit of like, you know, that whole protagonist approach and sort of equating, you know, strength and leadership and success with decisiveness and certainty and, and inflexibility. Like I know, I know. You know, and, and there's an attractiveness to that. There's something, you know, like, oh, that person's very confident. They know, you know, they know, you know. So, 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 so then why would I possibly spend time and money and energy to develop myself and, and my team? Why would, why would we cultivate the ability to, to listen to other people's ideas, right? That, that there is a, a bit of that. And, mm. and so it's kind of like I, at the same time, I have to, you know, 
teach the skills, but also create an awareness that you need to teach the skills. And it, I think it comes back to that whole idea I keep saying, but I, I find it a handy way of saying it is that protagonist versus ensemble. If you're in the protagonist orientation and that's all you're aware of, then really it doesn't absolutely make sense. You know, yeah, okay, maybe it'd be nice, you know, you get along better with your spouse or you whatever, but you know, why would I do that? But the, but the, the, um, the investment is worth it when you when you start to consider that we exist in this duality and that, and that you know we we i would suggest are are stuck in so many ways because we're using you know like that whole maslow's thing you know if the whole world is all you have is a hammer the whole world's a nail or whatever like yeah. we're just we're just you know hammering <laughs> our way like you know and so and so um so overcoming it is really just talking about it. That's that's what I've got so far. <laughs> that's what I got so far. It's just talking about the need and and highlighting the stories and how it is um how it's affected people not just in their professional lives but also personally and 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 what I hope long term is that it will be useful in um you know, in, in settings where people are gathering multi-stakeholder gatherings in order to try to, you know, work on some of these complex challenges that we're facing in the world today. Yeah, I know a few people you probably need to speak to. Anyway. <laughs> Excellent. Happy to do that. Um, now, I love asking this question because there's no wrong answer and I just love everyone's perspective on this. Jen, can you define for me what being ethical means to you? So, well, I love that you asked that. I'm not sure if I could exactly define it. I think I could say that there's probably a few levels. I think being ethical goes back to what I've said a few times about sustainability and, you know, living on this planet in a way that works for all beings and does so for all beings in the future, which is gigantic and, uh, you know, a very lofty goal that is not met a lot. But mm. it's, I think, nonetheless, the basis of, of, of my ethics. Um, and I would say, personally, it might just be a little bit more simple than that. It might be a bit more feeling-based. It might just be like, I, I do this thing, you know, like when I, I'm not, maybe everybody does, I, when I fall asleep at night, I'm just lying there and I'm head on the pillow, just about to go into dreamland. I do this, like, little top-speed scan of my day and kind of assess, like, you know, did I show up in the world today in the way that I want to? Is mm. that my best self? Did my best self show up in the world today? And, you know, there's lots of days where, where I'm like, yeah, you know, pretty good. You know, good effort. Jen Mason, fun, not good effort. <laughs> and then there are days where it's like, yeah, you know, no, like you could have, you know, you could have, you didn't say that, you know, you could have said this more gently or you could have done or not done or whatever. And then, and then I use that as sort of fodder for a little to-do list for the next day to try to make amends if that's possible in whatever way. So I would say for me, I feel like that's really a, an ethics practice in a way is like how sort of taking stock of my own, um, my own showing up on a daily basis and fine tuning accordingly. I love that. I love that. I actually do a similar thing and yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? When you realize that you haven't quite shown up how you would normally intend and you're like, mm, I can do better than that. <laughs> do better than that. Yeah. yeah. And it's beautiful though. It's beautiful to go back and, 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 and oftentimes they're to do with communication, yeah. you know, that seems to be the thing, you know, and it's like, you go back and, and it's, uh, it's sometimes scary to have those conversations and be like, Hey, so, 
I don't know if you noticed, but <laughs> you know, there's this yesterday. I whatever. It's it's not the easiest, but it always feels better when you're on the other side of it. So that's it. I feel yeah. like that's an ethics practice in one one way or the other. I love that. Now, um, what what are your future plans? What are you working on at the moment? Well, so I have just launched uh, my uh, consulting website in the last couple this this fall, mm-hmm. and um, I'm excited to be offering uh, starting in January online suspension workshops. Ooh. I um, was starting in person before the pandemic, and some people I've, I've giggled at the words. Many people have pivoted. They say pivoted oh. to online. <laughs> which I believe implies a, a speed and uh, I'm not going to be able to say I pivoted because it was this very slow and, <laughs> and arduous turn, but anyway, pirouette. I feel like I'm ready now. <laughs> I feel like I've had to do a little remedial tech and so on. So anyways, I feel ready now. So in January, I'll be starting to offer those. And I was uh, originally thinking I would be focused primarily on offering them to organizations and businesses, but I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm also going to open it up to individuals. Mm. So that's, that's the sort of most immediate thing. Um, but then in the future, I have some wishes, like, you know, back to that piece of, of, of what we learn in school, you know, my, my, my wish is to do most of my consulting work with, with adults, but I, I do feel like I'd like to, uh, I'd be very honored to work uh, with the Ministry of Education here in Ontario to bring some of this into the curriculum. There's mm. a, there's a great 10 civics course. Um, I don't think it's a required course, but I sort of think it should be. But anyways, um, but in that course to bring in some of this, to, to have young people exposed to just this, you know, this idea that, that you can engage in a, in a different way. And, and it's just, a, it's an opportunity or a tool in your toolbox. So, so I'd like to see some of that um, happening in the, at the provincial level. And then honestly, I, I would love to work with governments mm-hmm. at all levels, municipal, provincial, federal. I think there's an opportunity that politicians have to um, demonstrate how to behave ethically and respectfully. And I don't think that that opportunity is seized. Let's say that in a polite way. Mm. I think there's a, there's a lot of room for improvement. I don't think like, if you look at the, you know, Canadian parliament, I imagine it's similar in Australia, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's yelling, you know? Mm. And, and so like, we're telling our kids one thing and yet you look to the leaders of the country who are standing across a large room or maybe now not standing in a room, but you know, <laughs> yelling at each other essentially. <laughs> So there's a real opportunity there. I mean, talk about a job where you need to have access to as many views and voices as possible. You know, if to me, it seems like there's a, there's a, a fullness of their own narrative that, that is taking up a lot of space and uh, practicing some of this, I think might be really useful in, um, you know, not only as for role modeling for, for the entire you know, country, uh, young people and, and adults, but also for what they're trying to do. I mean, these are, you know, they're complex issues that, that need all the perspectives and all the voices. And, and, uh, I think a little, uh, a little spaciousness and, um, and, and improved listening in, in those venues would be lovely. So that's a, that's maybe more of a wish than a plan, but oh. I'd love to do something there. <laughs> I think you've got to make that happen like globally, seriously, because, um, one of the things, and, and I also work uh, in government here locally, um, is that um, I think communities don't feel heard uh, globally uh, when it comes to government. And, I mean, you, you look at, you know, pretty much any country, um, the same can be said. Um, 
I, I wouldn't think it's quite so bad in Canada. You people are, are lovely. Um, but <laughs> I know here in Australia, in the US, um, England, you know, um, they don't feel hurt. And it's because they don't know how. And if we can embed this into the administration, imagine the change that could happen. Mm-hmm. It gives me it yeah. gives me hope to imagine that that you know it's not a it is it does take work and I think convincing you know people on mass to do this is probably the larger challenge than mm. than helping them develop the skills to do it. Mm. But I do feel that there's a lot of there's so much possibility if we're if we're able to engage with each other in this way. You know, I mean, just look at just look at what's been achieved with the, the vaccine, you know, the cooperation, the collaboration to create a vaccine in this amount of time and, and several of them. Um, you know, if, if we're able to work together and, and engage with each other in this productive way, then I think that we have a, uh, a good chance of addressing the challenges that face us. And, and even better than that, in, in creating, you know, the thrivable, beautiful, gloriously abundant world that we want. I think, I think that's possible. I, I, I've told, I've been told I'm, I'm a bit too old to be that naive, but, uh, or, you know, idealistic, I guess, but, uh, but I, I cling to it. I cling to it. I do believe that we have the capacity to, uh, to make these changes and, and, and live with each other in a, in a, in a better way. I couldn't agree more, Jen. And, you know, my response to that is go big or go home. Um, now my last big question for you another one that I love uh, to see people's perspectives on is what's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life I truly believe it's uh, you know I'm I'm being a little repetitive I I think but I I I would say I'd like to see less enemy-fying you know that's a negative wish. So I would like to see, what do I want? I want more harmony. I want to see less enemy fine. I like, we're, we're going to have, we're going to think differently. Of course we are. Mm. We're, we're sitting in different places. You know, of course we are. We have different, everything is different. And, you know, you talk to somebody, even your neighbor is completely different life experience. Mm. So, so we need to be able to engage with each other and talk about all of these things without casting each other in the role of enemy. Mm. And, and, and I do believe that that is part of it is, is that, you know, orientation toward that ensemble and, and recognizing that we are both whole and part of larger wholes and having that humility aspect and just recognizing like, you know, like I've, I keep saying it, but that our views are partial, mm. partial. That's it. And so if we can, if we can do that, then listening to my neighbor who thinks differently you know, I don't need to enemy-fy him at all because he's just sitting at a different place in the circle and as such sees the world in a different way. So, so I, like I say, I, I feel like if we can move to that place, then um, th- that's a huge change that, that makes possible so many other changes that put us in a, in a better place. Oh, love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Jen, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the ethical evolution. Thank you. I'm delighted to have been here. It's been a very pleasant conversation. I appreciate your work. I appreciate what you do. And thank you so much for taking an interest in this. If you'd like to learn more about Jen's work and get in touch with her, go to jenmasonconsulting.ca. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're an ethical business owner, change maker or holistic healer who's determined to make a change in the world and you need support to spread your message, visit ethicalchangeagency.com to collaborate.
Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hath Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.